We are continuing to go through 1 Corinthians because that ancient church in Corinth was an absolute dumpster fire. And Paul has written to them a letter in which he is correcting them. He is roasting them. I use the term roasting because somebody earlier sent me this TikTok. We just got a letter. We just got a letter. We just got a letter. Wonder who it's from, right? You, you know Blue's Clues, right? Uh, but if you saw in there, they are getting roasted. So I just imagine them getting this letter, right? And opening it and wonder who it's from. Who's it from? It's like, it's from Paul. It, it, is, it, is it good? No. No, it's not good at all. What, does he know about Billy Bob sleeping with his stepmom? Yep, that's in here. I thought we weren't going to tell Paul about that, right? Oh, it's, Paul's actually ticked at us because we didn't do anything about it. And, and then you turn the page and you get into chapter six and Paul is going to address another concern that has reached his ears. Now, to set that up a little bit, I want to remind you, like, go back to your childhood, right? You remember, remember a time when you fought with one of your siblings, because I'm guessing that probably happened, right? Uh, you fought with a brother or sister. There was some contention. And what would you do at that time? Mom! Right? You yell because you, you, you needed to appeal to a higher authority to help resolve the dispute. And it, it seems like the worse the dispute, the more syllables in mom. Right? Like it's a one syllable word, but somehow you pack six to eight syllables. And mom, like you kept going, right? You were all distraught. What was going on? Well, you were being childish. If you look at this, you're childish because one, you were selfish. The dispute was probably about the remote control or who ate the last Pop Tart, right? And so you were selfish. And and then uh, also, the immature relational skills. You had no ability to resolve conflict with your sibling. And then thirdly, let's be honest, you didn't want justice, you wanted your way, right? All of us did, you wanted your way. I go through that because that's kind of what's going on in Corinth. They are not appealing to mom, they're taking each other to court. Within that congregation, they have multiple lawsuits. They are suing each other, and it's still childish because they're being selfish. They're trying to defraud each other. They're trying to take money from each other. So there's selfishness. And then they're immature in their relational skills. They're not working it out with brothers and sisters. And then thirdly, they did not want justice. They wanted to get their way. And I'll show you that in just a bit. First, let's jump into the passage. Here we are at the very beginning of chapter six in 1 Corinthians. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare to go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. 
Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? A brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers? All right, so they're suing each other. They have multiple lawsuits. Listen, in our society today, we are a very lawsuit-happy society. And that's a problem in and of itself. But it's even worse when that starts to spill over and seep into the congregation and they're suing each other. It's so bad. Remember, word has reached Paul across the sea. This church is becoming known for that. What a mess. There's strife and discord and selfishness and immorality. And yet, the congregation in Corinth was prideful. Look at all our spiritual gifts. We got all this spiritual knowledge and we have Christian celebrities. And Paul's like, so what? You're suing each other. What is going on? Can you imagine how that would hurt Redemption Chapel? What if we had lots of lawsuits? In fact, we became known around Northeast Ohio that that's the church where they all sue each other. Maybe we got into the local news for that. Could you imagine if you were invited to that church? Would you want to go? No way. See, there's more at stake here than court fees. There's big issues at stake. And the problems are these, and these will seem familiar because they're childish problems. They are selfishly trying to defraud each other. Okay, Before even the court case, they're trying to rip each other off. You'll see that particularly as we get into verses 7 and 8. That's the issue. But then there's immature relational skills. They're not able to resolve it with brothers and sisters in Christ. And then they're suing each other. Not to get justice, but to get their way. How do I get there? All right, let me explain something. First, you understand that there's two realms of law. There's criminal law and civil law. Okay, when we talk criminal, think crimes, police, handcuffs, arrested, that kind of stuff. Then there's civil lawsuits, and that's where we sue each other. These are issues of civil law where I feel like you ripped me off, I'm taking you to court and all that. Okay, so two realms of law. Now, in Roman culture, remember, they were part of the Roman Empire. In Roman culture, the, the criminal law was very objective, very just, very fair, but not civil law. In civil law, magistrates expected kickbacks and bribes. And whoever could give the biggest bribe, the magistrate would steer the case into their favor. So who usually won? The rich. The rich had more money to bribe the magistrate, right? So it was an issue of privilege, not justice. And by the way, that can still happen today. When you go to civil court, when you sue each other, the one who often wins is the one with the lawyer. Sometimes the poor can't get a lawyer because, you know, the whole, hey, you have a right to a lawyer. Well, that's criminal. You don't, you're not given a lawyer for civil. So sometimes the rich have the lawyer or they have more lawyers or they have better lawyers and they end up winning. There was um, a lawyer that I know told me that, hey, listen, just understand, if you ever go to court, you will get a judgment, but you will not necessarily get justice. That's in our system today, this lawyer. You'll get a judgment. You won't necessarily get justice. Okay, but listen, what what choice did they have? Like, you're, you're getting ripped off, or at least you feel that way, and you need some relief. You need some justice. So what's the alternative? Well, here's the thing. 
Roman law allowed for the Jews to adjudicate their own civil matters according to their own Old Testament biblical law, religious law. They allowed for that, okay? Now you'd say, well, what does that have to do with us? Remember, we think of Christianity and the Jewish religion as two separate religions. But back then, we as Christians were viewed as a sect, a subset of the Jewish religion. We would be covered by that. So we could take care of it within the church. They had an alternative, but they were intentionally still choosing to take each other to secular courts where judges can be bribed. So it is rife with bribery, but scant on justice. That's the problem. See, if you look back at the passage and and pay careful attention to what Paul says, He wants you to go to law. But the problem is not that you go to law. In verse one, he corrects them for going to law before the unrighteous instead of before the saints. You're supposed to go to law. You're just going the wrong place. You're supposed to go actually before the church. See, the passage doesn't assume that there's no authority to adjudicate this, but it's supposed to be church authority, not secular government authority. What? What would that look like? Well, uh, it could mean going before a pastor or an elder. Now, and letting them settle the dispute between you. If that makes you shudder, you might be in the wrong church. Uh, I want you to be at a church where you go, that sounds like a good plan, right? Uh, It could be somebody in the congregation appointed by the elders who, who is a wise believer and can adjudicate these matters and help people resolve this. Could be could be going to a Christian ministry. There's a handful of these. Here are a couple of them. Institute for Christian Conciliation, Peacemaker Ministries, and Relational Wisdom 360. These are Christian ministries, and their goal is to help Christians who are in dispute resolve the conflict without going to court. Okay? Now, my point is, you have options. You've got options. But if you go for one of these options within the church, well, now the goal is not to make winners and losers. Uh, It's not just to get your way. It's not to grease some palms uh, in the system of justice so it sways in your direction, okay? But now there are other goals, higher goals. Look at some of these goals. Now the goal is justice in the eyes of God, informed by his holy scriptures, bathed in prayer, led by the Holy Spirit. The goal of the testimony of Christ, his gospel, his church. Unity in the body of Christ. Relational reconciliation, not just restitution. The the civil courts, all they get you at best is restitution. They won't reconcile the relationship at all. The, The goal of growth for everyone involved and accountability and integrity. Let me tell you why I stuck that in at the end. When you are a Christian and you go to the civil courts, what you have is the ability to be two-faced, to live two separate lives, where in the business world, you're screwing people over and stealing their money, and you're going to court over that, and then you come to church and you're like, just such a good, devout Christian. But when all that's before the church, uh uh-oh, you can't be two-faced, can you? Those have to be in harmony. Now, when I look at that list, I see, I go, you know what? That kind of sounds like a good plan to me. 
Like that seems like a good idea. So in our contract with our builder, uh, this property that we're in, that our church meets in, uh, we have two phases to it. You know, up the ramp was the first phase, down the ramp, second phase. Same builder in both. I can't remember specifically on the first contract. It was too long ago. Uh, but on, on this one, the more recent one, if in any contract like that, there's an arbitration clause. What do you do when there's a dispute? In that contract, it said, 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 8. And the reason why is because our builder was a Christian. Christian-owned company. And I think we're all Christians, I think. So so we had two Christians in contract. And so the arbitration was going to be 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And you go, time out, man. This was like a big project. This was a lot of money. That's a lot to risk. Is that a good idea? Is that like, aren't we just stupid little Christians? You look at the passage, Paul's like, are you kidding me? Don't you know that you're going to judge the world and angels? Time out. (laughs) What does that mean? Scholars debate it. But I'm pretty sure what it means is that we, as in Christ and in our glorified state, we will participate with Jesus in judging unbelievers and the fallen angels, those are the demons. Really, Paul? Paul says, yeah, yeah, that's your destiny. Now, listen, if you can teach calculus, we assume that you can teach simple math. Right? Let's say you're a college calculus professor and you need help with addition and subtraction in your checkbook. You don't go to a middle schooler. Right? Why I'm saying, Paul is saying, listen, if you are going to judge the world and the angels, certainly you can judge simple little civil matters among your congregation. It's low shelf for you. Why in the world would you assume the world is better? Paul refers to them as the unrighteous. Now he's probably referring there to magistrates who, number one, are unbelievers. So they're not, they have no standing in the church at verse four. And in verse six, he calls them unbelievers. But also secondly, they're unrighteous in the sense they're taking bribes. Okay, so they're unjust judgments. Now, you could say, well, yeah, but Pastor Rick, aren't there some bad Christian leaders? Yes, Pastor Jared. For example, no, (laughs) Not true. As you all know, that is a great dude, a great Christian, great pastor, great preacher, great guy. But, but admittedly, yes, there are bad Christian leaders, but why, listen, why do you assume the world is better, right? Church or courts, either way, you're going to go before flawed human beings. And, and why assume the world is better? Remember that lawyer told me, you will get a judgment you will not necessarily get justice. That's as true in the courts as it is in the church. Why assume the world is is better? So Paul, by their actions, Paul is flabbergasted. By the way, that's a great word. Everybody say flabbergasted. You got to hit the B's on that one, right? Flabbergasted, right? So he is flabbergasted. Why? Number one, they're living worldly selfish lives defrauding each other. The fact that they even have these problems is a problem. Two, 
They're not resolving the problem as brothers and sisters should. Three, they don't resolve it with church leadership. And then four, they're going before unrighteous worldly judges. Now, as you look at that list, even if you assume that you'll get a just judgment under number four, it doesn't touch the first three at all, does it? And so, isn't this a better plan? More comprehensive? Absolutely. Now, two important caveats here. Uh, Number one, what we are talking about this morning, this applies to civil not criminal matters. Remember, criminal is crimes and police and handcuffs and jail, okay? Civil is going to be money and property and I feel like you ripped me off kind of thing, right? That's important to understand. The criminal falls under the jurisdiction of the state. In the Bible, it's clear. Romans 13, one through seven, Paul says that God has delegated that authority to the state. That's why they wield the sword. He says, not for no reason, but so that criminal, like God has delegated that to the state. That is okay that that's there. Why does this matter to us? This is important. God forbid this ever happens. But if a child is ever molested at Redemption Chapel, we will call the police. 911, right? Maybe that shocks you that I went there, but listen, some Christians try to use 1 Corinthians 6 to duck criminal cases. Well, you can't turn that that Christian in because it says in 1 Corinthians 6. That applies to civil matters, not to criminal matters. Or some, listen, you can't, if somebody like beat you, You can't testify in court. No, that's criminal. It doesn't apply here. This is about civil matters, 9-1-1. Because what happens then is some churches misapplying 1 Corinthians 6 in this category, the person molests a kid, and then what they do is say, well, we'll just handle it in-house. Hush, hush, shh, shh. And then we shuffle him off to another church, and he does it there, and he does it there, and he does it there. 9-1-1, all right? That's one caveat. The other caveat is this. You'd say, well, wait a minute. Time out, Pastor. What if, what if my Christian brother or sister won't submit to church authority in this? Like, like I want to deal with it in this way, but they're not willing. Okay. Do you remember last week's sermon? Of course you do, because it was your favoritest ever. It was, it was church discipline. That was fun stuff, people. Right? If you remember... When church leadership reaches out in that case, if the person is unrepentant, if the person is completely unsubmitted and you try and you try and you try, eventually we get to the nuclear option. And in that case, it it said, remove them from among you, that you are not to associate with them. Matthew 18 says, treat them like a Gentile or a tax collector, basically an outsider. All that to say, we treat them like a non Christian. What 1 Corinthians 6 prevents is Christian from suing Christian. Now we treat them like a non-Christian and you go to court. Sad because this is a much better system. We'd rather this, but they have not left you with that option because of their unrepentance. So you can go there. That's important because otherwise 1 Corinthians 6 becomes some clever little loophole where somebody can basically screw over Christians 
claim the name of Jesus and say, oh, too bad, so sad. Can't sue me. And that's not what this is intended to do. All right. So there's a couple caveats. There's the whole issue of Christians suing Christians and some alternatives. Uh, But we're not done yet. That's most of what I want to say on that matter. But Paul actually has a couple other verses. I've referred to them already. Let me read them to you. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 7 to 8. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. So for me, this starts to get into some broader application. We're going to be talking about live your values. But I want to get broader application, and here's why. If you remember last week, it was all about church discipline. And applying that could be funky. I said, go do a lot of church discipline. It's like, whatever, how's that work? So I gave you some other applications, remember? That we're going to be submissive to God instead of smarter than God. We're going to submit to his word, whether we like it or not. And then also that we would live lives of repentance, that all our life should be repentance. And if we do that, we'll never see the nuclear option. Remember those applications? Well, I, I need to do something similar this week because most of you are not in a lawsuit with a fellow Christian, right? Like, well, this is really nice information. What do I do, file that away for a rainy day? In case so we, so I get in a lawsuit and maybe I'll pull the sermon out and listen to it? Like right now, it's completely useless to me. All right. I believe these verses are about living your values, that you are overlooking some values that are really important to God. And you are misprioritizing values. So Paul is saying, if you look at the end there, he talks about brothers. He's saying, listen, one of the things you're forgetting when you get in these disputes, you're forgetting that your fellow Christian is family. They're brothers and sisters in Christ. Do you know how rare it is for family to take family to court? We're much more apt to work it out among ourselves as family, which we're much more apt to say, you know what, whatever, you keep the money, okay? We're family, right? Paul's saying exactly, exactly. Why don't we live it out like that? And he talks in, in, in the previous passage about shame. Like what a shame it is if a brother takes a brother to court. You go, that's, that's horrible. Yeah, your brothers and sisters in Christ, it's horrible. When you are caught up and you're feeling defrauded by another Christian and you want justice, which really means you want to get your way, we tend in that moment to overlook the other value. There's two values at least. One is the issue of the dispute, but the second value is the value of Christian unity, Christian fellowship. That's a value too. So no matter who wins the lawsuit, Paul's saying, you understand everybody lost. No matter who wins, everybody lost. Just having the lawsuit before the verdict even comes down, Paul said it's already a defeat to you because you're overlooking an important value. As soon as you take somebody, another Christian to court, we've all lost. We've all lost. Now, maybe you say, well, I don't care. Who cares? Okay, fine. But then quit claiming Christian discipleship. 
Like, you see, you're, you're in the process of revealing your true values. All right, all right let me help you try to catch it a little bit uh, more broadly. Husbands, have you noticed that you can win and lose at the same time? Why is it only our women laughing right now? <laughs> uh, right? Okay, because you're like, I won the argument, but it really feels like I lost for weeks now. Right? Like, didn't I win? I feel like I, feel like I lost. What is going on? Listen, you forgot an important value. You valued winning the argument and you forgot the value of loving your precious wife whom God gave to you. See, you, you forgot a value. We live this out on our staff team. Uh, our staff are great leaders. And uh, we go for it in the ministry of God, love it. And so sometimes a decision gets made and somebody doesn't like the decision or somebody disagrees about the decision. That happens. But in that moment, I want our staff to remember there are at least two values. There's the decision that was made, but then there is the value of our team unity. And if in that moment we take the gloves off and we start to get down about that, then we all lose. We all lose. We all lose. Now, yeah, you can make a case for what you believe or what you want. Yes, you can do that. But we do it in a way that is informed by the Holy Spirit where we're loving each other. We care about each other and we value the bigger value, the unity of Christian fellowship. And we keep our eye on that because as I just said, it is a bigger value. Look, Paul, Paul says in there, why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? Notice those are questions, not commands. That, that's important. But it's designed to prompt you to examine your values, to weigh them in the balance so that you can live your values. I saw somebody who lived their values. Dan and Faith. Some of you know them. Dan and Faith were students of mine when I ran crew at Kent State back in the day. When we launched what eventually became Redemption Chapel, they were a part of our church before we were ever on this property. Uh, they, they since moved down to the Canton area and go to a great church down there. I was just on the phone with Faith yesterday because I was like, I'm gonna use this example, but I'm 51 and I don't remember the details at all. So uh, remind me. So Faith reminded me what happened was a woman rear-ended her. Okay, it was clearly the woman's fault that rear-ended Faith, no doubt about it. She, they got out of their car. The other woman was just very emotional, very distraught. Please, can we not call the police? That, that's gonna kill us financially and, and insurance and all that. We will pay for the damages. Uh, just send us the bill. We'll take care of it. And Faith is a sweetheart. And she said, okay, sure. So Dan went and got a couple estimates. When they forwarded the estimates to the lady, I think she got sticker shock, completely ghosted them. No, like, couldn't get, like, just disappeared. Well, fortunately, it's the age of Facebook, right? So they get on, they had her name, right? And so they look at them and they're stalking her a little bit. And they find out she actually works for another church in the area. Well, that's awkward. <laughs> Uh, it's a big church in the area. I know the church. I have relations with the church. So, so uh, it, it was very likely this woman is a Christian. And so Dan and Faith came to me and said, hey, would you reach out to their pastors 
And maybe we can all sit down. They're, them and their pastor, us and you, regular, we'll, we'll sit down. And that's exactly what, what happened. And we sat down together and we worked it out. Now, before we even sat down, Dan and Faith told me they were willing to be defrauded. Their concern was that she's an uninsured motorist and driving around, that she's ripping people off, that she's not representing Jesus well. That's their concern. See, it's a bigger issue, on the, and we're, we're dealing with that in the church. They realized in the process they could end up not getting a dime, and they said, we'll be okay with it. We'll be defrauded. We'll pay for it ourselves. Why? Because they love Jesus. They knew 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and they were living their values. So they were willing to suffer wrong. Now, it seems crazy. It seems totally countercultural. Why? Why? Because Dan and Faith knew they had other values in play, and that's the point. See, this whole issue can start to reveal what your true values are. Sometimes when we sue, it's for greedy gain. Sometimes we're going for justice, but money is the issue. It's all about the financial. I value my money, period. And that will strongly dictate how you live that that time out. And oh, by the way, since those are your values, just be warned, those are going to come out in other areas of your life too. There's no firewall there. Those are your values. And it'll totally determine how you proceed. It's not Holy Spirit informed. It's not discipleship. It's not biblical. And again, it'll show up in other areas of your life. But here's the question. Do you value the other person? Like actually love them and care about them. Do you value the unity of Christian fellowship? Do you value the role of spiritual leadership in our lives? Do you value the reputation of the gospel and the church? Are those your values? Then live your values. You can imagine a scenario when two Christians are in some financial dispute and instead of trying to outdo one another in court, they try to outdo one another in showing love and sacrifice and laying down their rights and honoring and giving. So that the way the conversation goes is, no, you take the money. No, 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 you, you take, no, you take, no, you take, right? Wouldn't that be odd? Wouldn't that show the transformative power of the gospel of Jesus Christ? That would be so cool. And if that story hit social media, all of you would be sharing it around. Cool. Here's the question. Would you live it? Would you be the one that the story's about? Not just share it? Speaking of social media, how does this apply to the court of public opinion? So, so when somebody comes at you with their post or you make a comment on some other and somebody comes at you and that person's a fellow Christian, would you be willing to just be defrauded, to suffer wrong and walk away? Why? Because it's better that than to get pissy and damage the reputation of the gospel of Jesus. And I am so sick of seeing it. It is so gross watching Christians just destroy each other before the world. That's the court of public opinion. Now, I understand the things I'm talking about this morning are completely countercultural, but that's the point. The broader culture around us is an assert your rights, fight for your rights, never lay down your rights. That's the culture. 
but we belong to the kingdom, kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is counter-cultural. It's very different. And Jesus made that plain. You look in Matthew chapter 5. He says, and if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Wait, what? The dude just sued me in court, took my shirt, and I'm going to give him my coat also? Yeah, that's the kingdom way. By the way, that's a part of the Sermon on the Mount. You want to get countercultural? Go read that thing. The kingdom way is different. Hear this. When your culture is going to hell in a handbasket, countercultural is a good thing. It's a really good thing. Now, granted, in response to 1 Corinthians 6, some would say, but Pastor Rick, that's not fair. That's not justice. Exactly. That's right. That's right. But ask yourself a question. Do you love justice or grace? Let me remind you of something. (laughs) You don't want justice. You deserve hell. You deserve hell. Do you want justice or do you want grace? And if I'm honest before you, you know how I answer that? I want grace for me. (laughs) But justice on that guy that I disagree with. Justice on that guy that hurt me. Grace for me, justice for them. But that's not the kingdom way. That's not it. And Jesus not only taught it, he lived it. Look at uh, 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter Uh, 2 verse 23 says this. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So here you have the king of kings and lord of lords could wipe them out in a second, and he didn't. He didn't even threaten. He suffered wrong and entrusted himself to God the Father, the real judge, because it all comes out in the end the one who judges justly. Listen, that's our salvation. That's the basis of our salvation. That's how we got into the kingdom. Jesus allowed himself to suffer wrong unjustly in order to bless us, though we didn't deserve it. We were the ones who put him on the cross. You and me, we did that. See, when you start to wade into this stuff, it's a much broader issue. This reveals your value system. So let me make it simple for you. If all you value is money and winning, sue them. Go live your values. But if you value the scriptures, your brother or sister in Christ, grace and forgiveness, reconciliation in that relationship, which the court will never touch, If you value growth, you value the reputation of the church, you value the testimony of the gospel, then go live your values. Live your values. So what's your value system? You see, for this to work, I have to have a higher value on the reputation of God than the reputation of Rick. I have to have a higher value on the things of God rather than the things of Rick. And if it tilts in the other direction towards me and mine, then it's not going to work. 
And it'll show up in many, many areas of my life, not just in lawsuits, but that will be my value system. And it's about more than just court costs. So here's what I want you to do. In a moment, we'll bring the band back up. We'll worship as we close out the service. You're going to have some time to reflect a little bit. Because before you leave here today, I want you to think through this question. What is one countercultural way that you will live out the kingdom values this week? Okay? Let me say it again. What is one countercultural way that you will live out kingdom values this week? And let me pray for that. Father in heaven, uh, we come before you as pretty broken, stained people. We admit before you we are selfish. We want what we want. We want our way. And then we try to take it. And we forget kingdom living. But Father, you, you sent Jesus not only to teach it, but to, to do it on our behalf. That's how we got into the kingdom, that he suffered wrong on our behalf and didn't put it on us. He took it on himself. And therefore we got in. And now we want to live it, Lord. But I'll tell you what. Father, it's scary to us. When we think we're so, we've developed such a taste for a fallen worldly culture that when we view your countercultural kingdom way, we get scared. Father, we want to know that you are for us, that you've got us and you will take care of us. And therefore, we want to follow, follow you into a different way of living that would affect way more than lawsuits, just affect our lives. Would you clarify to each of these, my brothers and sisters right now, what is one way they can live that out this week? And I pray for that in Christ's name. Amen.